This is Take a Second, a weekly Come Follow Me podcast that focuses on finding the Savior in the Old Testament, and then how we might teach it in family or ward settings. I'm Brian Ricks, and Stuart Black is joining me to make sure that we stay on the rails. We are recording the podcast from the Student Lounge at the Pocatello Institute, so thanks for joining us for our lunchtime discussion of this week's Come Follow Me Scripture Block. Are we going to be able to do this on different sites? I don't know. I'm feeling a little <laughs> off right now. <laughs> it's a little, I'm not sure. I, uh, creatures of happen. All, all the uh, the podcast people aren't even going to notice that. No, this they is, won't. This is Those of you on YouTube are going to wonder what happened to Stuart's hair and how I got <laughs> and how I got so much slimmer. Um, welcome back to another episode of uh, Take a Second for Come Follow Me. We're going to do uh, Jeremiah. Remind me the chapters. 30 through 33, 36, Lamentations 1 and 3. Um, and some additional ones. <laughs> I don't know that I have anything prepared for in those chapters. <laughs> I got so excited Bri- about Brian and I were chapters. talking earlier that, you know, and, and this isn't, oh. you know, I, I don't think the church is saying these are the only important chapters. No. They're just saying this is going to be the point of emphasis um, in the classes and maybe some easier doctrines to study as yep. a family or something. But there's other valuable things in lots yeah. of other chapters. And I think the other thing, if, I, if, if I'm... If you're writing a curriculum, one of the things you got to consider is what doctrines and principles are taught other places in the Old Testament, Um, and maybe there's unique stuff in 30 through 33 that isn't taught as well somewhere else. And so, so you kind of got to pick. You you do what you can where you can, and if it's taught somewhere else, maybe you move past that this time, knowing that it'll show up again later down the road, or maybe we've already hit it. So, Um, okay, favorite part of these chapters. Um, I I probably liked Lamentations actually a little really? bit more than than in the past. I think I gave it a little bit more time, um, paid a little bit more of a price, and uh, dug into it a little bit more and thought, oh, these. I in in the past, Lamentations was always like the afterthought when you uh-huh. like you had a couple of days in Jeremiah while you were teaching and yep. you didn't ever finish because there's so many good things in Jeremiah. So by the time you got to Lamentations, you're like. Hey, everybody, look at the chapters. How long are they? They're uh, 22 verses. That's an acrostic. Okay. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you know, like that's that's the idea. What does lamentation mean? It means sad. Okay, move okay, on. Good. Don't be sad. <laughs> Amen. And then like that was that yep. was it. And so um, that was that was one of the things I, I actually started connecting a couple of things into lamentations. And we did this a couple of weeks ago when we did. Uh, what was it, Ecclesiastes, and then went back into yeah. Proverbs and kind so of went. Do you want to do that again? That Let's way, start yeah, in the kind back of, and mm-hmm. move forward. Yeah. Okay. And and uh, part of Lamentations, this is likely written after they've already been out of uh, out of Jerusalem. The city's fallen, the temple's gone. Like the the destruction and bad things have happened already. Yes. And Jeremiah now is lamenting the sad things that have happened. Now we we kind of just joked about it, but it, it is kind of a neat thing that. Um, these chapters really are an acrostic that you have 22 verses again, 22 letters in the Hebrew, in the Hebrew alphabet. alphabet, and chapters 1, 2, and 4 
are all those 22 verses, and each one of the verses started with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So before in Psalm 119, it was this whole psalm started with it. This is each one of the verses each originally verse. started with it. Um, and then the difference is, I was telling this to my, my children who are nine, seven, three, and one, that they were like not Just really following it. Super excited Mel about the Melanie, our, our oldest, <laughs> she looks at chapter three, she's like, it's got 66. Like, what's wrong with you and your math right now? <laughs> so we had to stop our come follow me discussion. I said, well, what's 66 divided by three? And she's like, I don't know. She's in fourth grade. Like, that's a little harder to ask a fourth grader off the yeah, top you're of the head. you're asking me div long division and, and Hebrew, at once. Hebrew, <laughs> Hebrew alphabet. Yeah, like, right. what's wrong with you, Dad? So I said, well, you divide it up. And chapter, chapter three is set up like this, that every three verses was a different letter of the alphabet. And here's the, the just something for your G-Wiz file. Chapter five is 22 verses, but it didn't follow the acrostic. I don't know oh. if Jeremiah got sad about it or... <laughs> the translators messed it up or what but anyways that was it's got the 22 verses but it, it doesn't follow the same thing but here's what i would start with for the for the teaching idea and we asked a few of the students in here and we might put it at the beginning of our of today's clip or the end of the clip but maybe we'll just enter it right here so, so explain great. it and i'll just yeah. we'll, when we edit it up perfect great we'll throw idea. it out we'll just throw it right in there um we just went around and said uh what are some analogies or similes or metaphors about sadness sadness is like what and really the book of Lamentations gives a few of them. So whenever we put that in, here it is. Go. I can't even think of one. An analogy is sadness. I am as sad as, sadness is like, go. I don't have anything. It's sad. I gotta think. You're not recording right now. <laughs> yeah, right now yeah, I'm recording. It's yep. still going. <laughs> sadness is like, Sadness is like going into the pantry for a bag of chips and it's completely empty. Ooh, well done. That is a good that was one. A homer. That was. When you Google to get answers and all that pops up is like these really long PDFs. <laughs> <laughs> An analogy of sadness. Um, I think the Dead Sea would be a good analogy of sadness because it just takes and takes and it's very dead. Well done. Oh, my sadness is like glasses. I've had it since fourth grade, except for when I sleep. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> sadness is like. Um, sadness is like. I don't know. Having to leave your puppy at home. <laughs> but here's some of the ones that Jeremiah gives. This is chapter one. Um, and, and I just highlighted a couple, but in, in verses 1, uh, 2, 5, and 6 here in chapter 1, he says, How doth the city sit solitary that was full of people? How has she become as a widow? Sadness is like somebody who's lonely or a widow. Uh, verse 2, she weepeth sore in the night and her tears are on her cheeks. There is no sadder time of the day to cry, I think, than at the night. Time. At, when you feel so lonely, you're by yourself. He says the tears are on her cheeks still currently. Um, among all her level, lovers, she hath none. All of her friends hath dealt treacherously with her. Ch uh, verse 5, her adversaries are the chief or are the rulers. All of her enemies are the people who are important. And 6, um, this is hunting season, so we got to throw yep. this in here. Um, they're become like hearts, which is a male deer. Mm -hmm. Hearts that find no pasture, and they are gone without strength before the pursuer. That It's like a deer that's fleeing that 
has no strength to flee. It's, it's the dream you have when you can't run. Yeah. You, it's, and you're stuck. You're, yep. You're absolutely stuck. And, and I thought of some other ones. And, and if teaching in a gospel doctrine uh, situation or something, you could ask, like, what are some other analogies about sadness? And, and I was thinking for college kids, but um, sadness is like when you've studied for a test and you get this test back and you did not do well. Yeah. Midterms was last week, right? Yep. Um, it's like dating and not having success. It's like not having money. It's like whatever you want to like connect it to, there it is. And and here's, do you remember? Look at verse two. Do you remember President Hinckley speaking at Elder Maxwell's funeral? Uh, uh-uh, in 2004, I don't remember. He, oh, you uh, you were probably still in elementary school. Um, <laughs> I just got into junior. No. That's right. <laughs> so I remember thinking, and, and year, though, I'll be really honest. Was it really? Uh-huh. Oh boy. Um, I remember listening to it and thinking. We shouldn't let President Hinckley speak at funerals anymore. So Sister Hinckley had passed away just before, okay. and he kind of in this moment turns to Sister Maxwell and starts to explain how lonely and how painful sad, sad. those nights are when, you're, when you no longer have that companion next to you. And, and so when you think about verse 1 and 2, like that's the image that jumped into my head. was President Hinckley describing this for him. And, and then when it... And, in a literal sense, when when he's when Jeremiah is saying this, he said, all of her lovers she hath none to comfort her. Everybody that Jerusalem, everybody that that Judah was going to turn to, whether it was Egypt Bailed. or Assyria, they're all gone. Yeah. Edom, they're all they're all out. Um, her friends and, have and dealt even the kingdom above them that they they had for a long time, they, even though they were kind of fighting, that they've been gone they, for a long time. Mm-hmm. They're already toast. Israel, yeah. yeah, their friends are dealing treacherously with them. The former allies aren't anymore and and they you feel that just that you know I, the words that come to my just this idea of totally isolated yeah. or or you know I've been completely rejected and, and left behind mm-hmm. so, yeah and and I was as I was studying these I one of my favorite I read the book it's it's better than the movie and I like the movie a lot the Count of Monte Cristo oh, where so it's good where it seems like everything in his life collapses in the first 10 minutes of the movie yep. And then he spends the rest of it at the end, and the book's way different than the movie, but at the end he finds redemption. He finds success in the things that he's going through. And I, I think that was why I liked Lamentations is before it was like, it's all about sadness. But in, in chapter three, there were some verses of hope that I, I just loved that I'll, uh, and, and you could take time to really dig through all of them, but 21 to 33 ha- has a whole bunch of phrases that, um, and, and I'll just highlight a couple in verse 22, his compassions fail not. 23 they're new every morning to compare that idea with i cry every night and he says but his compassion's new every day it's still new for you the lord is my portion um in verse 25 the lord is good unto them that wait for him 26 it is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the lord verse 31 the lord will not cast off forever 32, but though he caused grief, yet will he have a compassion according to the multitude of his mercies. For he doth afflict willingly, no, he doth not afflict willingly, nor grieve the children of men. That the, the grief and the lamenting that Jeremiah sees, that he is a part of, that he witnesses, he says, it's your fault. But God is still going to redeem you, and he's still going to save you. And I, for me, that was one of the, the neat parts to connect Jeremiah's lament also to his, but I, I find peace still. And, and that's that's the beauty of the gospel. It's not always instant, but you know that you mentioned the losing a loved one. That that pain hurts for a while, mm-hmm. 
until it doesn't. The pain eventually seeds away. At, at least the at least the consistency of it. Yes. At least the 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 nonstop gnawing. I, I think you know. I think about the, loved the, ones that I've yeah. lost and. And there are songs, there are moments, there are those times that bring that pain back. And I think if you're, if you're a, a Jew uh, living in Babylon or in, in any of these kind of far out places, I think that's what would happen. And the Lord tells him, Jeremiah earlier on, in fact, Jeremiah prophesies and says to, is it 32 or 31? Jeremiah says to the people who have been sent out, don't trust people who say you're not going to be there very long. It's chapter 29. Um, he's speaking to those that have been taken away, been carried. Verse 1, to all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. So this is before the, the second and final destruction of Babel, of Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. And Jeremiah is writing to all of these people who have already been taken away in the first um, in the first conquest. Like 60, is that the 605? 604, something yeah. like that, right? So, yeah. and it's shortly after that, the Book of Mormon starts. Mm-hmm. That's, yep. that's when Zedekiah is put in place. And, yep. and so he writes to them and says in verse 8, Thus saith the Lord God of, Ho- Lord of hosts and the God of Israel, Let not your prophets and your diviners that be in the midst of you deceive you, neither hearken to your dreams which you cause to be dreamed. For they prophesy falsely unto you in my name, I have not sent them, saith the Lord. For thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon. And and earlier on in 27 and 28, Jeremiah re- reveals that the false prophets are, are going to teach that the, the yoke of Babylon is going to be broken and that you'll come back to Jerusalem and that you'll get everything back from the temple. And Jeremiah points out, and it happens in, Jer- in Jerusalem with, with Hananiah, where you have one specific instance where Hananiah, the false prophet, stands up and says... Within two years, the yoke of Babylon is going to be broken. I'm going to, the Lord's going to bring everything, all of the, all of the, the furniture from the temple that's been taken to Babylon is going to be brought back. And the Lord says to Jeremiah, "Go find Hananiah, and you tell him that that's not what I said." Uh, in fact, and, and Jeremiah's message from the Lord to Hananiah is, "Thou hast broken the yokes of wood," because remember Jeremiah has this wooden yoke. The Lord. Yeah. This, the, the Lord is the master, master object lesson guy, and he puts Jer- he has Jeremiah put himself in wooden yokes and says to Zedekiah, accept the burden. Just stay here. If you'll accept the burden, I will leave you in Jerusalem, and you can plow your lands. And, and even though you're subject to, to Babylon, I will allow you to stay in Jerusalem, and you can keep your lands of inheritance. Uh, and then Hananiah comes, and he breaks that yoke of wood off of uh, takes it off of Jeremiah and breaks it on the ground, and and the Lord says to Hananiah, "You've broken, uh, thou hast broken the yokes of wood, but thou shalt make for them yokes of iron. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have put a yoke of iron upon the neck of all these nations." And then goes down and says, "Hananiah, because you've done this, you will die within the year." And it's three months later that Hananiah is dead. Uh, and what's interesting is, this is one of Zedekiah's consultants. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a great kind of, uh, I, I find it easier for, at least as Latter-day Saints, we've spent so much time in the Book of Mormon, so that sometimes there are Book of Mormon stories that kind of overlay Old Testament stories. There's a Book of Mormon story that, that we're all familiar with that overlays the story of Jeremiah really well, and it's the story of Abinadi. Remember, Abinadi comes the first time and says to King Noah, if you don't repent, if you don't repent, if you don't repent, and they, they kick him out and they don't repent. Jeremiah comes to first uh, Jacob. 
I can't ever say the son's name's right. Jaconai, uh, um, Jehoiakim. I always Jehoiakim, forget. Yeah. He said first his first message to Jehoiakim is if you don't repent, if you don't repent, if you don't repent. And that's the moment when you could have avoided Babylonian bondage, but they don't. And so then when Abinadi comes back, he says, "All right." There's no more if-then statement. Yeah. It's you're it's going to now. you're going to suffer these things. So then, when Jeremiah comes back around and starts this second round of of prophesying now to Zedekiah, it's no in suffer the bondage. You you've brought this consequence upon you. Now the best thing to do is to stand up, endure the consequence. Still turn to the Lord. And the interesting thing is, is the Lord still gives him this promise that even though you're going through the bondage. I'm still offering a promise. I'll keep yeah. you here. And they reject him again. And and so, you know, you talk about the message of hope. My favorite, uh, my favorite chapter in Jeremiah. I love chapter 16. I said that last week. But um, my new favorite because of my study this week <laughs> is chapter 32. Uh, the chapter heading says, Jeremiah is imprisoned by Zedekiah. The prophet purchases land to symbolize the return of Israel to their land. The Lord will gather Israel. So background, um, well, it's Jeremiah ends up in jail, and then a family member comes to him and says, "We're as a family, we're going to lose a piece of land in Ananoth." And let's see, verse seven: Hanamiel, the son of Shalom, thy uncle, shall come unto thee and say, "Buy thee my field that is in Anathoth, for the right of redemption is thine to buy it." And so this idea of redemption, land was everything back then. There is no, there's no career. Nobody went to college to, you know, to, to go be something. Really, land was your claim. And, that was your insurance. And can insurance. I just say something about that? Like, we, we were talking about this yesterday, and I, my mind's just going back to Ruth and to Boaz, that idea with, with redemption. But this is also the bigger picture. What The main promise that these Jews are focusing on is the promise to Abraham. Yep. God is giving me this land. And yes, Laman yes. and Lemuel use that same argument against Lehi when they're like, this we're going to leave. Land. And they're like, this is the promised land. Yep. Do you not believe in Abraham's covenant? And they're almost throwing like, dad, don't you know anything about covenants? God promised us land. This is most important. Why could we leave? And you get why Nephi then so much is teaching about this is the promised land. This is our promised land. This is our promised land. Because land is such a big deal yes. just to reinforce that idea. Yeah. And it's and and as Latter-day Saints, where our Abrahamic covenant doesn't connect so much to, to an land. actual land to property. But we ought to see we, we when we talk Abrahamic covenant, we should think about celestial inheritances. Yes. And inheritances in a new Jerusalem and and, and we should be connected mm -hmm. to an inheritance in a land and and so when you have this idea of inheritance and, and promised land come up, our promised land is the celestial kingdom. It's those it's that inherited blessing that we're going to get when the Father gives all that he has to Christ and Christ turns and gives all that he has received to those of us that have, have qualified through his mercy. And so, and in this day, as the family's about ready to lose the property, the, there was customarily and culturally this, this role that the next closest kinsman that can has a responsibility to the family to redeem it. To redeem it and to keep it from going into collection, so to speak, and so that it doesn't get into, so it doesn't fall into the hands of another family. So here's the interesting thing: as I as I read about this, there's, and and Nephi really talks about this when he says in First Nephi chapter one that when his dad starts preaching, the Jews try and take his life, 
And there, there are at least two attempts that were that are recorded, at least two attempts on Jeremiah's life. And it's not a, it's not far fetched when you look at Lehi and his family to assume that some of Jeremiah's family is involved with this, the mocking and the and the attempts to kill and and to silence this, what would be perceived in society as an embarrassment. Mm-hmm. Um, here's this prophet who's out prophesying to submit to the heathen nation. That's not a prophetic thing to do. Right. The prophetic thing to do would be Hananiah. God's going to stand up. We've for got us. this. Yeah. Yeah. And so now. This possibly this Hanamiel, the the son of thine uncle, so his cousin, comes to him, hat in hand, maybe looking down, and 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 there's a lot of there's some speculation going into this, but but a difficult conversation to come into prison and say, I need you to redeem this because I can't redeem it myself, and and there's a couple of ways to look at this and and look at his. Jeremiah is agreeing to purchase it. Uh, verse 9 says, And I bought the field of Hanamiel, my uncle's son, that was in Ananah, and weighed him the money, even 17 shekels of silver. And I subscribed the evidence and sealed it and took witnesses and weighed it. And so this is the, this is the title exchanging, right? This is the, the deeds. And he seals it and he gives it to Baruch and, and, and they save it. And he says, Put it in a clay pot so it will last a long time. The first, I, one way to look at this is, and you talk about Lamentations in chapter 3 and the hope, this is Jeremiah, even though he knows the outcome, this is his ultimate act of hope and confidence that the Lord will fulfill his promise. We're coming back here, and to prove that I believe the Lord, I'm going to spend money on property that I will never set foot on. Jeremiah is going to be taken back to Egypt. Yep. He's never going to see this, and yet it's that hope. It's that it's that absolute confidence in in the promises of the Lord, and I just think if I were teaching this, I think one of the things I would have I would let especially older older students or or kids if I was teaching my family, I'd love to hear what are the promises that the Lord has made that are the hardest to believe. What are, what are the promises? What are the signs of the second coming that you find the most far fetched? Um, what are the what are the things that you're asked to do that are the most difficult? And then I just love the the very first part of verse nine. I bought the field, and how do we buy the field today? What is it that we're asked to do that is essentially buying the field? What do we give up today, right now? I, for for him, it was seventeen shekels, right? Uh, seventeen shekels of silver. I'm going to give up that right now for some fu- something in the future. Yeah. And, and what are those things in your life? What are the things that we're asked to give up? What's the, sh- what's the silver that we're asked to give up right now? And what's the land that we're going to get in the future for it? And, and how do you find that hope in that idea mm-hmm. of, I know this is all future-based. Just, just building on that, that same chapter 32, Jeremiah asks this question in 17, and the Lord gives a similar response in uh, 27. He says, Ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretch out thy arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee. This idea of what seems so out there that you're like, I, I don't even know if I can wrap my head around that. And Jeremiah says, nothing. Nothing is too hard for him to do. This idea that after you've been kicked out of Babylon, after the temple's gone, it's like you're getting it back. Within 70 years, it's going to be yours again. You'll rebuild it. You get the land. It's coming back. And then when the Lord says, I'm the Lord, the God of all flesh, is there anything too hard for me? Yeah. No. No, nothing is. 
And he, he has this ability to redeem and to help. And just, just in the, that same chapter at the end, 37 to 42, and in 33 in verses 6 to 8, just check out all these times that the Lord says, I will. Mm-hmm. And he, he says, I will gather them out of all of the countries. I'll bring them again into this place. I will cause them to dwell safely. I will be their God. I will give them one heart and one way. I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I will not turn away from them. I'll put my fear in their hearts. I will rejoice over them to do good. I will plant them in this land. Will I bring up upon them all the good that I have promised them? I'll bring a health and care. I'll cure them. I will reveal unto them. I will cause the captivity of Judah to return. I will build them up. I will cleanse them from iniquity. I will pardon them. It's all of these guarantees that haven't happened yet. And and I I love this idea that I will is a future tense. It hasn't happened yet. These people haven't been redeemed yet. Their tears have not dried yet. But the Lord is making you a personal guarantee that you accept on faith Mm -hmm. because of his assurity. That that idea of redemption is you're like, I know he will. I know I, I know it doesn't look like it. But I know he will. That is this absolute guarantee of faith of Jeremiah buying land saying, you'll be back. I'll buy the land. I I, will. One of the teaching thoughts that I had with this is starting in verse 37 as you go down, just identifying and actually writing them out. And whether that's, um, I've taken my iPad before and thrown the screen up on my TV for my kids Mm -hmm. and just like used it like a, then like a chalkboard and mm-hmm. find it found an app and wrote it. Yeah. you could you could print them off and hand them out however you want to make those things stand out off the verse so it's not in this verse context it doesn't kind of they kind of blend with the rest mm-hmm. of the words but get those i wills to pop out and take a look at them and just and hand them out and just say which of these is the most motivating you which which is the one you look forward to the most um i will gather them out of all the countries um I will, the one I will just say, the one for me, the one that I gravitate to is verse 39. I will give them one heart. That to me is the thing I would look forward to the most. And quite honestly, that's the thing that I have the hardest time seeing right now. Even within the church, we're so divided and we're so, so often, at least it's what we seem to see the most, whether that's actually the, or just our focal point. yeah. Yeah. But that idea of being, you know, one heart, one mind, that city of Enoch type type feeling in our communities and within the wards and with our neighbors like i look forward to that i look forward to a day when i know that the person i'm dealing with it has my best interest in 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 mind and i in turn have his um that's that for me is the thing i look forward to the most and i maybe i look forward to it the most because i see that's the most impossible thing but if you remember if the jews will remember when God first promised this land to, the, to Abraham, he's one family. <laughs> he's brought this family out of Ur, and they walk in, and this, fa- this yeah. land is there's filled with other people. Yes. And there's just a few of them. And God says, I'm going to give this all to you, Abraham. Mm-hmm. And Abraham had to look around and be like, really? How's that going to happen? <laughs> um, but I, I love the idea of you know, just buy the land. Bite the bullet and buy the land. Make those commitments and, and, and stand on that hope that's going to come. The other way to look at that experience of him buying the land is is a more Christ-centered, very Christ-type-and-shadow approach, and that is we're all Hanamiel. We're all the person who, every one of us is that person who has not taken the Savior or his atonement or his sacrifices seriously as we should have. 
at all times. You know, that we've all we, we've all esteemed him as not. So to, to borrow from Isaiah, and there's going to come a point where if we want to maintain our inheritance, we are going to have to hat in hand go to the Savior in his Gethsemane in his prison and say, "You have to do this. I I can't do it. I'm I'm financially in this case." physically, emotionally, whatever, psychologically, I'm incapable of doing what needs to be done to redeem myself and to reserve or preserve my, my place in this inheritance. And so in this situation, you have Jeremiah as a type and shadow of Christ who is acting as his right, as the first begotten in the spirit and the only begotten in the flesh. It is his priesthood responsibility, his right and his privilege of redeeming all of us. And that's that's what's going on in in and off and with the field. Love that. Thanks, Brian. I uh, m- maybe just one final thought for me is in uh, 31, and it's it's just kind of maybe a little bit of a capstone for what we've already talked about. 31:17, uh, just the verse says. Uh, well, in 13 he says, "I'll turn their mourning into joy, and will comfort them, and make them rejoice from their sorrow." That he says that there's no more lamenting. You will be happy again. I promise you. I will guarantee it. I will redeem you in this way. And then 17, just the line right at the beginning, there's hope in thine end, saith the Lord. That, that the hope in how it's going to turn out is just going to be just fine. I, uh, a few years ago, Elder Gary Saban um, of the Quorum of the Seventy shared a story about his father-in-law watching BYU football games. And he taught at BYU, Elder Saban's father-in-law, and he said he just... he got so nervous he couldn't watch the games and they invented this incredible thing called a VCR <laughs> and he started recording them and then he'd find out what the score was at the end of the game so he'd see it on the news or something and then he'd know that BYU won and if they won he'd go back and watch the game and he said he would sit there just confident and calm and he said it didn't matter if they were unjustly penalized if like they threw a fourth quarter interception whatever it was he had absolute confidence the anxiety that it was, gonna, was gone was gone he knew it was going to work out and Relating that to us, um, we know how it works out. Yeah. That the VCR has already recorded what Jesus' redemption has done. And we can sit in confidence of the Savior knowing that he can turn mourning into joy and that he can dry those tears off our cheeks. The lamentations don't need to last because of the Redeemer. Yeah. Well, I, that's, I think that's a great place to end. It is. Um, thanks. Uh, if, you, uh, if you are enjoying the podcast or the... Uh, the YouTube videos, please click a like and subscribe and leave a leave a comment. It, it helps kind of spread the word. We appreciate that. Um, thanks for watching, and we'll see you next week with Ezekiel. We get one week yeah. in Ezekiel. That is so buckle up. <laughs> that's a tragedy. It's going to be a long one. Thanks. We'll see you next week. Thanks again for joining us on Take a Second for Come Follow Me. Brother Black and myself want to emphasize that in this episode or any other episode, there's nothing that we've said that is meant to or can in any way be interpreted as the official doctrine or policy or practice of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Uh, Brother Black and myself simply represent two guys that enjoy talking about Scripture and and in our own life experiences as it relates to the Gospel of Jesus Christ and and hope that in sharing some of our thoughts and, and insights, but certainly our personal opinions and nothing more, that uh, maybe it might open up the scriptures a little bit to you. So thanks again for joining us on Take a Second, and we will see you in our next episode.